Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, just praise your name again for just an incredible time of worship and praise. You are the resurrected King. You've robbed the grave. We have hope because of you. We have peace because of you. We find joy because of you. The sacrifice of Christ Jesus, our King, we have salvation because of you. We praise your name, Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Be with us now as we, as we study, as we read and understand. Father, just speak through me, through your word very clearly. Father, just allow us to understand and comprehend and, and be challenged and confronted and convicted. And may we be, as we pray every Sunday morning, Father, transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His precious name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, it's good to be home. Had an incredible opportunity last week, as many of you know, to be in Guatemala and and do some training. Uh, We had the chance to travel around uh, outside of the, the main city, Guatemala City, into kind of three different areas, work with Megan and Joe Fry who are missionaries from Rosemont that we sent out last year. They've been there almost a year now. Uh, Doing great work, by the way, down there. Uh, You can be very proud of the work that they are doing. Uh, They they get it. I'm I'm telling you, they get it. (laughs) They're they're, they're trying to set up opportunities for training and strengthening churches. And so we went to three different areas. Santa Lucia, which is where they're based. Two other cities, if you're familiar with the lake. Uh, Santa Lucia is kind of southeast. We went to city kind of east of the lake and then one far northwest of the lake. Uh, we went from sea level to about 7,500 feet in elevation in about two and a half hours. That's quite a drive in Guatemala uh, because guardrails and safety are kind of out the window. They're not interested in those things. And so you kind of hold your life in your hands as you travel around those roads. But God's doing great things. Uh, I had so many people ask. I've got just a few pictures. I'm not going to show you the, the slideshow because that would bore everybody to death. I told you I was going to do it later, Wanda. Let's just do it now. Uh, this man, uh, you guys prayed. I listened to the sermon last week, Jason. By the way, nice job wherever you're sitting. But Jason started the sermon by reminding you guys to pray. I want you to know now, about the same time he was doing that here, we were sharing with this man in Guatemala. We just walked to his house. We started out Sunday. They do their services Sunday afternoon late. So Sunday morning is free. We did kind of a Luke 10 walk, right? We go out and, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had been talking to this man previously. Uh, he's doing stories. Uh, so, so Joe is doing stories. So he'd started at creation. Big picture stories of Genesis. He asked me to do the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, which is Genesis 37 and following. So I shared the story of Joseph. Uh, this man prayed to receive Christ Sunday morning. As you were praying now that the Lord would do something pretty cool through our team. Don't tell me prayer doesn't work. Don't tell me prayer doesn't work. Uh, this, this man and his wife uh, prayed to receive Christ. There's a local church there. And that's what Joe's doing. He's plugging these people into local churches. Pastor there with us that minister. And so this guy's going to go and do great things. Go to the next slide. There's, just, there's three others. One of the churches we worked in. 
In Quetzal, Tenango, now we go to Matza, Tenango, those of you that have been, stay in the Bamboo Resort. This is Quetzal, Tenango, the, uh, the, the national bird of uh, Guatemala is the Quetzal. Tenango means land of, so Quetzal, Tenango is the land of the bird, basically. That's the city we're in. Did ministry there. And then this is Joe and Megan's home church. This is Santa Lucia. Uh, this was kind of some of the training we did with them. I would basically take the pastors out into another room in this particular place, kind of out into the carport area. Joe and uh, uh, Randy Presley and Bobby Lumpkin were with me, and they did the ministry to the local people there. And then one final slide. I think I got one more picture. Yeah, that's just us. Uh, Joe on the right. Their pastor Abraham, who's the pastor of Santa Lucia there. That's me in the white. And then my translator beside me uh, talking in Joe and Megan's church in Santa Lucia. So, okay, you can take that down. G- anyway, great trip. God's doing great things. Continue to pray. Uh, Megan and Joe will be back over Christmas break. Get a chance to speak to them and kind of hear more about what's going on. And we have a team right now, as I told you, already in South Asia. Be praying for them as well, okay? Great things are happening. Very exciting. Let's turn our attention now to Acts chapter 6. We are continuing our study this morning in our sermon series that we've entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary. We call it that just to remind you to make sure we're all on the same page because God takes a group of, of kind of ordinary people, people that aren't able to accomplish a whole lot on their own through the power of the Spirit working in their hearts. They do extraordinary things. And so we've already seen this through the apostles, through Peter, through John, as we kind of work our way through the book of Acts. We'll see it with Paul. We've seen in the early church. And so let's just uh, review kind of where we've been to make sure we know what's happened so we can kind of pick up the story in context. Uh, A few weeks ago, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, uh, the Lord called them to sell a piece of property, to give the money to the church. They sold the property, gave only a portion to the church. The Bible says they lied to the church, lied to the Spirit, the Lord struck them down. Do you remember the story? And then immediately following that, we studied last week of the apostles. They're arrested as a group. They're thrown into jail. Uh, the leaders go back the next morning to get them, and miraculously they've been free. They're in the temple preaching. They bring the apostles back in. They beat them. They tell them never to do it again, and they kind of send them on their way. Right, so we've already seen this theme of, of growth and persecution. Those themes are going to continue this morning in our study. So we've got, we've got a lot to cover. Let's just jump right in this morning. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen for you as well. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. That's an important line. It continues this progression of growth. We'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. So in the days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together. And let's just, let's just make a distinction here, right? The apostles are the twelve. Those are the, the people that followed Jesus around. Uh, they're in a minute going to gather together the disciples who are kind of the other followers. So the twelve gathered all the disciples, right? So the apostles, the twelve apostles, gathered basically the church together. And they said, verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now let's stop there for just a minute. We're gonna, let's walk back through this and see if we can draw out some truth. Um, the idea of persecution, the idea of growth, we're going to see. But there's a problem in these first four verses. 
There's an important problem that I want you to see, and so I'm going to give you kind of the the big picture of where we're going, and then we'll walk through it together. There's a problem we're going to see, there's a solution we're going to see, and there's a result. Right? So a problem, a solution, and a result. The first thing we see is the problem. We have it on the screen, number one. The enemy was trying to distract the church. There's a problem here, and we're going to look at it. We're going to understand it together. The enemy is trying to distract the church. Now let's just notice here again, I want to draw your attention to this. This is important. There is an ongoing theme of growth in the book of Acts. So if you were to go back and start at the beginning, we see at Pentecost there were about 120 believers uh, before Pentecost. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. We see 3,000 people. The first part of Acts chapter 4, the Bible tells us that there are now 5,000 people that have become believers. And then verse 1 of Acts chapter 6, in those days the number of disciples was increasing. Right. So there's this, there's this growth. Right. If you were to kind of graph this or chart this, it would look almost like exponent, exponential growth. Right. Just a few to begin begin with, probably just a few weeks later, maybe a few months later, thousands of people are now believers. Now here's what most people do, right? We think, okay, the church is growing, the Spirit is at work, uh, good things must be happening in this church, and, and there were good things. Right? There, there, were, there were lots of good things happening, but there is a problem. Right now, here's what I want to get at, and we're going to kind of unpack this together. Here, here's what I want you to see. When, when churches are healthy... And growing and reaching people for the Lord and the Lord is blessing. It's in those churches that the enemy is going to do everything he can to attack them. You understand that? Because just, just think about it from the perspective of, of the enemy, just for a second, if you would. Right? If, if, if there's a group of people, a church, that's uh, not interested in evangelism, not interested in reaching people, not interested in missions, not interested in the community, not interested in making a difference for Christ, why would the devil care? Just leave them alone. I mean, they're just they're kind of doing what he wants them to do anyway, right? But when you have a church that's growing, reaching people, healthy, the enemy is going to see that, recognize it, and, and, and attack it, right? And so, so for our church, like currently, if we we're going to apply this to us, as we see a church that's growing and reaching people and doing good things, we need to be prepared for the enemy's attack. Do you understand that? That's as individuals and that's as a church at large. Somebody's Bible is reading out loud. That's a good thing. That's okay. We need to be aware of attacks from the enemy, right? Because that's what happens here. Now, we've already seen this, we've already seen this pattern of persecution. I want to kind of chart this and make sure you understand it. Because the third one today, to me, is, is the most important and the one that's most applicable to us. So let's just remember together, okay? We've had uh, kind of three levels of persecution up to this point, Acts. We've had the physical persecution... Right, the persecution where, where the enemy is going to have uh, Peter and John arrested and threatened. Later on, we read it last week, all of the apostles are arrested and threatened and beaten. That physical persecution of being jailed, of being beaten, of eventually being killed for their faith is a process that will continue through the book of Acts. And, and by the way, I think uh, that's one of the top things that the enemy still uses today around the world. There's still great amounts of physical persecution in the world today. But the enemy attacks the early church with a physical persecution, a physical attack. He's trying to destroy the church. He's trying to destroy the movement. It fails. 
The second level attack we saw a couple of weeks ago with Ananias and Sapphira. He's going to try to get somebody from within to lie, to be dishonest, to trick the people. He's going to try to use Ananias and Sapphira who were believers in the church. He's going to try to use those people to destroy the church. So we've seen a physical attack of the enemy. We've seen kind of an inward attack of the enemy trying to bring somebody from within. And then the third one, and this is probably the most important and the one I think we need to focus on the most in our world today, is an attack of distraction. There's a physical attack. There's an inward attack. There's an attack of distraction. I want you to look at verses 1 and 2 again just for a second. So the number of people are increasing. There's, a distract, there's this, this complaint about the Hellenistic versus the Hebraic Jews are being overlooked. Verse 2. So the twelve gathered the disciples together and they said, listen to their words. It's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Right, so there's, there's a real problem here, right? We don't want to say that there's not a real problem. There's a problem here between these two groups of people. These widows are not getting the, the amount of food they need. Uh, they need to be held. That, that's a, that's a, a really good problem to have, right? We understand that's something that needs to be taken care of. We need to help these people. But the, the apostles, right, the leaders of the church, realize that they don't have time to, to feed and to help all these people and to serve the food. They don't have the time to do that. They don't have the time to spend with all these people. So there's, there's an issue here, right? There's something that needs to be done. And so they, they, they say to their people, listen, it wouldn't be right for us in verse 2 to neglect the ministry of the Word in order to wait tables. Now, now, this is what I need you to understand. This is really important here. Pull that first truth back up for me about distraction. Right, so he, here's the problem. This is, this is going to apply to us very clearly today. And we're going to talk through this together. Here's the problem. There were some good things that needed to be done. Right, it it would have been good to help these people and to give them food. And that was something the apostles recognized and they needed to do it. But they were distracted with the good away from the great. Let me just say that again. I want that to sink in just for a second, okay? There was something that was good that needed to be done... They needed to help these people. They needed to give food. They needed to provide for these widows. That was a good thing and a necessary thing. But they were being distracted away from the best thing, from their calling in the church. There was a book written several years ago. Some of you probably have read it. It's a business book written by Jim Collins called Good to Great. If you never read Good to Great, you ought to read it because it's a business book applied to businesses. He did all this. He was at Stanford and did all this research on good companies versus great companies. And and there's a a pretty big distinction between companies that are good and companies that are great. But he starts that book with a very simple line. If you read it, you'll probably remember, but it's just always stuck with me. He starts that book by saying, uh, good is the enemy of great. Now, let me say that again, because I think that's very profound. Good is the enemy of great, right? There's a lot of good things we can be doing. There's a lot of good things that need to happen that we can and should be involved in. There are very few great things we need to be doing, but oftentimes we get distracted with the good, and we never quite get to the great, right? Here's what's happening in this context, right? The call of the apostles was to preach the word. 
That's the great thing. That's the best thing. That's their calling. That's what the Lord wanted them to do. If the enemy, now stay with me, if the enemy can distract the apostles from preaching and teaching the word onto good things, necessary things, then the enemy's won because then the apostles are not doing what they've been called to do. And, and so it's, it's, it's sometimes hard for us unless we kind of take it all in context. It's good to help these people. We need to help them. And there's a solution for that. We're going to get to that. We're not going to kick them to the curb, I promise. But the best thing, the calling of these apostles was to preach the Word and to teach the Word. Now you say, that's good, man. I get it. The enemy's trying to lure them away and he's trying to take them away from the great things to the good things. And I, I get it, good. But let's think about this just for a second. Let's, let's, let's kind of make this hit home for a second. How does this apply to us? Here's the question I want you to ask yourself just for a minute. Maybe personally or as a family. What is the enemy? What good thing is the enemy using in your family to lure you away from the great things? Like, well, like what's happening in your life? It's luring you away from the best thing God's called you to do and called you to be. You may not know, so I've got a list. I'm going to help you. Now, my hope is, when I give you these things, that I offend every person in here. That's my goal over the next three minutes. I've, I've written out these applications to offend everybody, so you can't be mad at me because I'm talking to all of you. So, here's some things that we get distracted with. Social justice versus the gospel. Social justice right now is cool, it's in vogue, it's important, right? We want to help people with clean water and with food and a shelter. Those are good things. There's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to give somebody water. That's good. We do that in different parts of the world. We do mission work. There's nothing wrong with giving people food and, and helping people. Those are good things. But we sometimes do the good and we provide for these people and we never actually share the gospel with them. And so we've done something really good by giving them clean water and food, but we've missed the best thing, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You understand? And it's very easy for us to feel good about the good things. Why? We gave them water and we provided and we helped them and gave them necessity. And that happens even locally. We can give out food and warming shelters, and those are good things. And I'm not saying, there's, there's nothing wrong with those things. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But if we're just doing the good and never doing the great, we're missing the calling of Scripture. The enemy has deceived us. Did you know if you go and provide clean water and food for somebody and never ever tell them about the gospel, never ever give them an opportunity to hear the name of Jesus, you've missed the point? I mean, Jesus provided physically so he could then provide spiritually. He always helped these people to give himself an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So there's the good of helping, there's the great of the gospel. How about this distraction? Busyness versus rest. Man, that's the world we live in, isn't it? And we're busy, aren't we? And we're busy doing good things for the most part. We're busy with, with work or social or activities. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But when you kind of wake up and you realize, you know, we hadn't had a, we hadn't had a meal at home in three weeks. You ever done that? We, I'll, I'll just be transparent. We've done that before. I mean, I'm like, when's the last time we've been to the grocery store? Right? When's the last time we bought food? Because we're so busy, we're just eating out, right? We just get caught up in the, in the kind of the rat race and we get busy doing good things and we miss the best thing of just maybe some rest and time with our family. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about what we're giving up when we go do all this stuff? 
And we say, y'all are, y'all are fidgety. I can tell. This is hitting home right here. Y'all are like, y'all are fidgety. I, I can tell. I can read you. You're fidgety. That's good. Now you're going to move at all. <laughs> Busyness versus rest. Right? We get in this world of being busy, doing good things. We miss the great things. Now the next one. Just get ready. Worldly activities versus church activities. Here's what we'll do. And I, I, I apologize in advance if I offend you. We have no problem going to dance or sports activities or tournaments on Sunday morning. Those are good things, right? Sports are good. Dance is good. Cheerleading good. Those are good things. Nothing wrong with those things. But when your family falls into this habit of we'd rather do those things, those good things, instead of the best thing of assembling together with a body of believers and worshiping Christ together, we've missed the truth. We've missed the point here. I'm just telling you, I just fear that one day we're all going to kind of wake up and look back and go, what? What were we doing again? Why why did we get deceived into thinking all of this stuff was the best when the Lord has kind of given us the plan right here? I mean, God has given us this kind of simple plan, right? To to focus on Him. to, To live a life that is pleasing to Him. To... Spend time in His Word, to, to memorize the Bible, to spend time in, in prayer, to regularly attend church, to be in a small group. And we take all of these good things in life and we get distracted by those good things and we miss the great things, don't we? And we're just rolling through life and we never quite recognize it. I, I just pray that after you kind of take a look at this Scripture through that lens, that if nothing else, you'll just kind of at least take a step back and maybe reevaluate. You may end up exactly where you are now. But I think every now and then, as families, as individuals, as believers, we ought to just reevaluate our lives, our busyness, the sports activities, the dance, the school stuff, the work stuff, the, all the stuff that we do that are good. But I fear oftentimes we're missing the great. I think we're missing God's best, right? So there's a problem. The enemy has tried to distract with good. Now, this is the fascinating thing. I don't have time to go into this. The enemy didn't distract with sin, right? So. We don't usually say this. Hey, uh, kids, we're not going to church this morning. We're going to go to the bar and Dad's going to drink all morning until about noon. Um, we don't say that, do we? We say, hey, we're going to go to the lake. We're going to go to the tournament. Or we're going to go to good things. It's exciting and fun. And again, those are good things. But the devil doesn't tempt us oftentimes with sin, although that's part of it. He tempts us with good things instead of great things. So reassess. Okay, so let's continue. There's a solution. Right? So that's the problem. Verse 2. So the 12, pull the scripture up again, please. Acts 6 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and they said, right, here's the distinction. It wouldn't be right for us. We can't be distracted to neglect the teaching of the word here in order to wait on tables. We can't be distracted with the good away from the great. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So the problem is distraction. It's, a, it's, an, it's a, an attempt the enemy made in the first century to destroy. It's an attempt that the enemy still makes in our century to destroy. That's the problem. Here's the solution. In the church... Number two, deacons were called to serve and promote unity. So the the Lord kind of creates this process within the hearts of these leaders to create a a group of people within the church to help with this process. Now this is interesting in Acts chapter 6 because this is the first time that we see an actual calling of deacons. 
an, an actual setting apart of a specific group of men to minister. The word deacon in Greek actually means servant. So these people were called to serve. These people were called to bring unity. These people were called to kind of fix a problem that had existed within the first century church. Now, the apostles understood their calling. This is important. I want to make sure we, we get what's going on here, right? The apostles understood their calling. There, there are good things that have to happen, but the best thing for the apostles in their role and their calling was very simply to preach and teach the Word of God. Now, I'm reminded of 2 Timothy chapter 4. You don't have to flip there, but I want to read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, speaking to Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead... And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come. Now, I would argue that the time is here. The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. But you, he's speaking to Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Charles Spurgeon, who's a, a, a great English preacher in, in the 1800s, preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, and he preached regularly to over 10,000 people. Amazing. He was kind of the first megachurch pastor. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, It's better to preach five words of God's Word than five million words of man's wisdom. Men's words may seem to be the wiser and the more attractive, but there is no heavenly life in them. Right? The Lord says, listen, we need to understand within the church, right? There, there, there are issues and things we need to deal with and problems, but, but there are solutions, right? We, we need the, the apostles or the pastors or the leaders to teach and to preach the word. We need deacons, the leaders, to rise up around the pastor or the pastors and serve and lead in unity and be spiritual leaders within the church. Right? Now, here, here's the problem with, with a lot of churches. Here's the problem with a lot of churches. Praise the Lord, it's not our church. But a lot of churches believe, and so this is just a little, a little truth for you moving forward. A lot of churches believe that it's the pastor's role to do everything. Right? He should preach and then go out and visit and then do evangelism and then pray and then take up the offering and all the things he should do. Turn on the lights before you get here. Turn them off when you leave. That's not the calling in Scripture. And that's why you, you may not know this, but the average tenure of a Southern Baptist pastor in a Southern Baptist church is between two and a half and three years. Did you know that? So every two and a half to three years, there's a change, right? There's a change. That's common in most churches. It's because pastors have been told they're supposed to do everything and they burn out in two to three years. That's just the way it works. Praise the Lord, our church is not like that. We've got great leaders, great people that surround me and do the work and great things are happening. But I, I want to kind of just kind of cut you off at the pass here, right? Because here's where some of your minds are going. You're thinking, okay, so it's the pastor's job to do this. I get it. It's the deacon's role to do this. I get it. Some of you are thinking like this. Whew, that leaves me out because I'm not a pastor or a deacon. Oh, yes. I don't have any real responsibility. You're wrong. <laughs> Let me just draw your attention to another scripture very simply. Ephesians 4. 
beginning in verse 11. So Christ gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers, basically the leaders of the church, verse 12 of Ephesians 4, to equip His people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. We're all called to do something. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You've got some sort of a role. You've got some sort of a calling. That's between you and the Lord. It's not between me and you. I'll help you and pray with you and meet with you and try to figure out what that is. But ultimately, that's your call from the Lord. And so there's this incredible model here. When the Lord calls the pastors to, to faithfully preach the Word. And by the way, let me just tell you this. I told the 830 service. One of your jobs is to hold me accountable for preaching the Word of God. And I mean that. It's, it's not my job to give you my opinion or to make things up. It's my job to open up this book and to teach you and to preach through these verses. And I'm called to preach the Word. It's not my opinion. It's not my own personal thoughts. That's my calling. And so your job, if I ever deviate from that or stray from that, you need to come to me in love and say, listen, you're not preaching the Word anymore. You need to do that for me. Because I may have blinders on, I may not recognize it, I may not understand it, but, but leaders, men, uh, people of the church, whomever, if, if I'm not preaching the Word of God, it's your call to call me on that. That's your responsibility. Okay, so it's my call to preach, to the pastors of the church to preach. It's the call of the deacons to be unifiers, to, to kind of fix problems, to be spiritual leaders, to lead in service. It's the job of everybody else to figure out the works of service. So we're all working together. We're all spending time thinking about the things of the Lord. And when that happens, great things are going to take place. Now, I, I just want to spend a second here. I don't, I don't have a lot longer, but I don't want to miss this opportunity. Right? We're, we're, we're talking specifically in verse 6 about deacons. We're talking specifically in verse, uh, chapter 6 about deacons and, and a group of people that the church chose. But I, w- I would say to you, uh, the men especially, and this is just kind of my heartbeat, that even if you're not called to be a deacon or you're not teaching Sunday school, you still should be a leader within our church. Right? We, we need men of integrity. Men, I'm talking to you. We need men of integrity to lead at home, to lead at work, to lead at school, to lead at church. To lead on the ball field. We need men of integrity to, to do the things the Lord has called us to do. And one of the problems we recognize in Guatemala, we go to all these little areas and these small churches and all these people come and there are very few men. And I get to have the pastors alone so we're in a room kind of together and we talk about issues and things we're dealing with. And one of the problems they always tell me is, listen, the men of my church just aren't interested in, in stepping up and leading. They're not interested in serving and helping. And, and so what's left, praise the Lord, is a group of ladies that have to do it. And praise the Lord for those ladies. Amen. I mean, godly ladies that are hard workers. If it weren't for those women in many of these Guatemalan churches, the church would fail, I'm telling you. And we praise the Lord for their service and for their willingness to lead and to stand in the gap. But you talk to these ladies and they're like, my husband just doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to lead. He doesn't want to come to church. He doesn't want to serve men. We need to be men of integrity. Men that stand up and say, you know what, I'll stand up and do the work. I'll help. Give me some sand to carry or a shovel or whatever you need me to do. I'll do the work. I'll help with the ministry. That's the calling in Scripture. This is how how God has kind of wired the church for for, for us to kind of preach and for the deacons to lead and for the people of the church to find the works of service. And when those things happen and we're all involved on some level, there's a result. Let's look at it as we finish up together. Look at verse 5 and 6. Right, so, so there's already been a problem. We've seen the problem. The solution we've seen 
And so it pleased the whole gathering in verse 5. They chose Stephen, by the way, underline his name. He's important. We'll get back to him. And there are other guys they chose in verse 6. And they sat before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them, right? So there's the process. That's where we get the idea of ordination. Right, so we're going to lay our hands on these men that have been selected. We're going to have prayer for them. That's the process of ordination. Now look at verse 7. So, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We've seen the problem. We've seen the solution. And now truth number three, the result. The word of God spread. The word of God spread. You know, there, there are lots and lots of books you can read on church growth. Did you know that? You probably are not aware, but there's a lot of books on church growth. There's a lot of conferences I could go to. There's a lot of experts we could hire. There are consultants we could bring in. There are all sorts of opinions and thoughts and, 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 and steps and, and rules and things you can do to kind of grow your church. That's a whole genre out there of Christian books. It's interesting to me, however, that God has kind of given us a real clear growth pattern here. We don't, we don't have to do anything fancy. We don't, we don't have to uh, do anything special oftentimes. If, if we'll just trust the Lord and we'll follow this model, which is the Word of God is properly taught. The pastors teach and preach. The Sunday school leaders, I'll be doing the same, by the way. Children's leaders. By the way, if you teach children or students, what an incredible opportunity you have. Right? If you're a Sunday school teacher... What an incredible opportunity you have. Let me, let me say this, Sunday school teacher, and I hope I don't hurt your feelings. Don't get distracted in Sunday school from the Word of God. That's what the enemy wants. Because I used to teach Sunday school, and I know, man, it is easy to get distracted because there were great football games yesterday, right? Great results of football games yesterday. Lots of neat things happening. We can talk about politics. There's world events. And before long, it's an hour's past, and we haven't gotten to the Word. Don't get distracted. We need to be teaching and preaching the word. When that happens, when the, when the deacons will rise up and lead the godly men of service, when the people of the church from Ephesians 4 understand their calling, understand their place of service and their giftedness, and they're willing to walk and to move forward with the church, when those things happen, God blesses and the church grows. You say, come on, is it really that simple? Don't we need like a cool website and a Twitter feed? And those things are good. Nothing wrong with those things. But here's the model right here. This is the model. Trusting the Lord, following the Lord, allowing Him to do great things. When we do that, when we follow this model, God takes a group of ordinary, sinful people and through the power of the Spirit, He does extraordinary things through them. That's my prayer for this church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's clear and understandable and very challenging, Lord. I, pr I pray that all of us this morning have been challenged on some level to understand distraction, Father, to call it what it is, to understand the, the solution of, about how the early century church, Father, fixed this with leadership and, and godly men, especially standing in the gap with, with people of the church figuring out their roles. And then, Father, when we do that and trust you, the result is that your name is glorified. More and more people come to faith. The church is healthy and it grows. Father, we would praise your name for this model. We praise your name for what you're doing at Rosemont. We ask you to continue to bless us. Father, just speak within the hearts of our people right now as we think about our own families, Father, and, and the, own, the issues that we deal with and the distractions of life. Lord, what's the solution for us? What's the solution for us, Father, within our families? What's the result going to be when we come back to you and trust you more? 
Just open up that place in our heart, Father, that line of thinking in our minds. Give us clear thinking and understanding, biblical thinking and understanding. Allow us to trust you in all things and we'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. You can come and pray. You can come speak to me. This is your opportunity to respond as we say. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.